Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. I grew up on the shores of Lake Erie in a city called Sandusky in the state of Ohio. I was about an hour west of Cleveland, Ohio, and my dad was a huge sports fan. And so I grew up loving Cleveland sports, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Indians, and my biggest love, the Cleveland Browns. What you just heard was a highlight play from 2018, Baker Mayfield throwing a pass to Jarvis Landry. For those of you who are not fans of the NFL, those names won't mean probably anything. But for me, football was almost a religion. And I wanted to talk today about tribalism and specifically tribal trauma. And as we have this conversation, I want to start by talking about football because football is a form of tribalism. Here I am in a certain geographic location. And so my team is essentially picked for me. If I had grown up in New England, I would have been a Patriots fan. If I grew up in the windy city of Chicago, I would be a fan of the Bears. If I had grown up in in San Francisco, I absolutely would have been a huge fan of the San Francisco 49ers. But I grew up near Cleveland, Ohio. And so my team, my team is the Cleveland Browns. And, And the Cleveland Browns, if you know anything about football, have struggled for a few decades now to have any level of consistent winning essentially every single season other than two over the course of the last 20 years have had the team losing more games than they've won. But I don't have a choice. Like I could pick somebody else. I've, I've had this conversation in my head. Why do I keep rooting for a team that's going to lose? And over the course of those two decades, I thought, let me just stop having passion for my team, and let me pick a new my team. Let me pick the Miami Dolphins. Let me pick the New England Patriots. Let me pick the Indianapolis Colts. But I can't. It's not inside me to be able to do that. I feel emotionally and uh, mentally pulled towards being a fan of the Cleveland Browns come hell or high water. Regardless of how bad things get, This is the team I'm going to root for each and every year. And sports has a way of telling you, look, we've got it turned around. Look, we're the best team. Look, we're the ones who are going to be good and the other guys are going to lose. We're going to beat them. And football, like all team sports, is indicative of of tribalism. And, And here's what I mean. Tribalism is about separating us humans into us and them. Tribalism is about working together for a common result of being successful and surviving and flourishing at the expense of other groups falling on hard times, losing, struggling. And when I used to watch football games, when I used to watch the Cleveland Browns, my first memories are in the 1980s, 1985, 1986, 1987, 1988, 1989. And back then the Cleveland Browns were a really good football team. 
And I watched my team and I watched my dad. My dad was a diehard Browns fan, still is to this day. And he would watch the game, sometimes sitting in his underwear, laying on the floor, watching the game. And I knew I wanted to be like my dad. And so I learned early on to cheer for the same team he cheered for. And as I'm watching the game, the Browns would often get into the playoffs and eventually would face off against the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos quarterback was John Elway. He had these huge teeth and this big giant smile, but I learned to hate this man. And, and I hated this man with a passion. I wanted my players to kill him on the field, um, almost literally. Like, I wanted my players to hit him so damn hard that bloody snot bubbles would come out of his nose. And But what would happen would be my team was destined to go to the Super Bowl. And this happened three out of four years. My team was destined to go to the Super Bowl. They faced the Denver Broncos in all three of those four years. And my defense, Clay Matthews being the all-pro linebacker, he would get through the Denver Broncos offensive line. He would almost get to John Elway. Um, John Elway would have to do some kind of duck and swerve and, and turn and twist. And he would get out of the grasp of Clay Matthews as Clay Matthews is trying to grab at John Elway's uh, jersey or his, his uniform pants and would slip off and fall down and Elway would roll out of the pocket and find some receiver uh, long, out deep for a pass, and would throw the touchdown. And all three of those four years that the Browns faced the Broncos, the Broncos won. And they went on to the Super Bowl and lost them all. If only my team could have gotten there. My team was better. My team should have won. My team was cheated. It wasn't fair. And this is tribalism. And even now on this side of things that I'm almost awakened and I realize all the flaws in our uh, government and in our citizenship and in the, the labels and myths that we apply to what we are as America and Americans, I still can't stop rooting for my football team. It's September 2nd, 2020, and the Cleveland Browns play their first game of the season. This is the, the year of COVID, their first game of the season on September 13th, and I'm getting excited. I can't wait. There's a, there's a, a breath of fresh air out there. Things seem like maybe they've turned. The team in the last two years has been building with talent, and they finally had to get rid of a coach that wasn't uh, doing very well. They've hired a new coach. Everybody is reporting back that things are moving smoothly. The team is making progress quickly. And here we go. I'm setting myself up for another year of disappointment, but I don't have any choice because I can't root for anybody else. This is my team. And tribalism has its pros and cons, the reason you can't abandon your favorite sports team, the reason you buy their jersey, the reason you watch the games, the reason you read the newspapers and listen to the radio and read the online forums is because you don't have any choice but to be part of the tribe that you are. And so it feels so innate. It feels so human to be us and to look out across the thems. And when you go back in time, if we could just close our eyes and go way back, 10,000 years, 50,000 years, 75,000 years ago, whatever we were, and we were human, whatever we were, at some point far enough back, we didn't have language. We were surviving in little tiny groups. Um, and, and for some of our groups, they were really small, maybe 10, 12, 15, 20, 25. And those groups thrived 
on intimacy. And by intimacy, I mean you were so familiar with everybody else that you gathered around the campfire with that you knew them so well. You knew their skills. You knew their, their weaknesses and flaws. You knew what stuff pissed them off. You knew what stuff uh, made them happy. And your life revolved around these people that you just knew so dang well. And that was your tribe. But the bigger a tribe is, the better chance it has to survive. And the bigger tribes assuredly killed the smaller tribes. The bigger tribes survived and the small tribes died. And so if you had a small tribe of 15 that survived on intimacy, that, that was cohesive because of intimacy, that, was, that worked together well and knew how to hunt and knew how to gather, and you could have, you could have gone decades and decades with these people producing new children while the old ones died off. Intimacy was enough, except that what happens if sickness came in and killed six of you? What happened if a vicious pack of wolves came into your tribe at night to attack you? What if another tribe of 50 somehow was at odds with you? The bigger tribes made it, and at some point, us humans found other ways in which to work cohesively. If we look at the other primates, the other monkeys, the other the gorillas, the chimpanzees, the orangutans, the bonobos, the gibbons, there's a lot of grooming that goes on. Every day these animals will go off on their own with each other and different members of their tribe each and every day as they groom each other. And this grooming acts as the cohesive glue to these tribes and it allows a larger group to work together. So grooming allows you now to be in a group of 75 or 100. But even that isn't good enough when you meet a tribe of 200 or 500 or 1,000. And so at some point, us humans developed, we invented, we invented a thing called language. Somehow our vocal cords developed to be able to make, to create lots of different sounds sounds dozens and dozens of sounds whereas most animals vocal cords only allow a limited range of noises or sounds that they can make somehow our vocal cords developed while no other species did to the extent that we did not only that we had two hands and two feet we were able to stand upright we were able to use our hands to make and utilize tools and so as we create language We now have the ability to pass on information. We now have the ability to teach the young ones what the old ones have learned through experience, which allows the young ones to get a jumpstart and to build on what the past generation, on what their grandfathers did. With language, we were able to also invent another thing called gossip. And with our ability to talk about each other and to tell each other's stories, we were able to extend out the size of the cohesive tribe that we could be part of. If a tribe had no language, had no story, had no gossip, you're limited to those 15 to 25 on intimacy and maybe another 60 to 80 based on grooming. But the moment gossip comes in, you now can get up to 150 because I may not know you, but I know Jerry And Jerry knows you. And Jerry can now tell me about the things you did last week, both good 
and bad. Did you see Frank? Frank killed the shit out of that woolly mammoth. Frank is the fastest motherfucker in this, in this family. Frank, man, you see Frank throw that spear? Frank threw the spear and it went 75 feet and landed right in the side of that woolly mammoth's body. Frank is a badass. Did you hear about Jenny? Yeah, Jenny was out gathering her grapes and berries and she dropped them. Like she was halfway back and she tripped over her own feet. Did you see her feet? Her feet are huge and they're pointed crooked. She trips over herself all the time. On top of that, she just isn't that fast. Like she's really slow. You have to kind of give her tasks that don't involve things that we need. Do you see how gossip works? And it allows us to know about Frank and Jenny without really knowing Frank and Jenny. But the trouble is that when we start to use gossip and it works, Gossip does make a tribe cohesive. It does increase the ability of the collective tribe to survive. But what it also does is it gives us a new facet, a new outlet, a new venue, a new uh, way in which to traumatize each other. And so we humans have been traumatized generation after generation for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Tribal membership meant survival. We are drawn to our group identities in part from a place of belonging and in part from a real evolutionary need, a very real evolutionary need for survival. Human beings are not built to survive without group support. We've talked about this before on the podcast. A, a lion to some extent, might be able to, in the right space, survive on its own. Certain animals do really well on their own, and certain animals need to be in packs of three or four or five or ten. We humans are not the fastest animal. We don't have the sharpest teeth. We're not the biggest or the strongest. By ourselves, we are at the bottom of the food chain. But when we work together, when we collaborate, when we get into a group we are at the top of the food chain. We're the smartest. We're the most resourceful. We're the most creative. When we work together as a group, look around you. Look at everything humans have done. Look at the buildings, the societies, the art, the creativity, the, the stories we tell. We humans, there's nothing we can't do. And what we have created and done and made and accomplished and again, there's negative too, all the damage we've done and the hurt we've caused. But when you look at the positive in terms of creativity and uh, flourishing, no other species of animal has even come close. Who else has built a fucking high-rise building? Who else has created nations and societies and laws and courtrooms and police forces and uh, clothing and iPods and, and tablets and laptops and radar detectors and smoke alarms. And like, look at all the shit we humans have put our mind to and created and accomplished. You see dolphins building buildings? Do you see bears making rules and boundaries and laws? Do you see anybody writing down words or creating new language? There was some report that some monkeys are just kind of starting to enter the Stone Age. 
uh, to some degree, where some of them are beginning to use tools and to do some of the things that we humans did 200,000 years ago. No other animal comes close. Human babies take many, many years before they can care for themselves. When you look around at all the animals on the planet, when babies are born, most uh, babies of each species, most infants of each species, most young, are, are not capable of taking care of themselves to a strong degree very quickly, but they have more ability than, than humans. A, a baby deer is born and it is walking on the first day. It has to. Evolution deemed it was essential, otherwise deer wouldn't be here today. If deer were deer, except their, their young had to be carried around or lay in a spot forever for a year or two to be able to start to function fully, Deers would be non-existent. Whatever animals didn't come up with ways in which to protect their young, they died. And they're not here today. And there are billions of species that went extinct since the beginning of time. And yes, us humans have done tons of damage to lots of animals and we have caused lots of extinction. But even before we humans were human, animals were going extinct and billions of species have. And the species that did couldn't cope with a changing world. And for most species, they're young, very quickly can move and walk and travel and crawl. And very, very quickly, most species, they're young, develop to a point where they can at least keep up with the pack. And they can, uh, if so long as to some degree, the older of their, of their tribe uh, works to provide them with food, they can eat and take care of themselves. They don't need someone else to... Um, essentially for the first year of their life, like a baby, like a human baby, they don't need for the first year of their life to be completely coddled and every need taken care of. Most animals, if not all, develop quicker than a human baby. We humans have gotten to a place where we can, evolution has deemed it possible to let the, the, the infant child take its time in developing Human babies take many, many years before they can care for themselves. From the time of earliest human history, living as part of a tribe was beneficial. There was safety in numbers and a division of labor so that food could be procured by some while others were caring for the young. Due to minimal geographic mobility, most tribes were built with people who were similar and related. This learned survival through tribal living while not necessarily genetically programmed, was built on enough generations to be a strong part of our cultural ancestry as human beings. This comes from an article, by the way, of Psychology Today, When Tribalism Goes Bad. We talked a couple episodes ago about how some of our memory is stored in our DNA. It should be important to note that we humans have developed the mechanisms over hundreds, a couple hundred thousand years certainly thousands and thousands, tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of years, we humans have built mechanisms inside of ourselves in how we treat each other so as to get cooperation from the unit collectively. But what happens when the collective unit is the priority? What happens when we say us is more important than me or you? What happens is you and me learn shame. We learn guilt. We learn what it means not to measure up. We learn what it means to fail. We learn what it means to not be good enough. We learn what it means to be judged and to feel judged. 
all this community trauma because the tribe, its survival, and rightfully so, when we're talking 100,000 years ago, rightfully so, the tribe's survival was more important than your individuality. It was more important than your specific individual needs and wants. It was more important than your freedom, whatever that meant and whatever day it was meant. It was more important than your ability to pursue the things you wanted to pursue. The tribe's survival was paramount. And then we invented this thing called myth and we start to tell stories. And one of these stories is right here in America. We tell a story that the founding fathers, the documents that they created, the, the laws and rules of the land are preeminently designed to give a story that you are more important than country, that it is this country's job to support your individual freedoms. It is this country's job to support your individual pursuit of happiness. It is this country's job to, to be a resource to you. But don't you see that's a myth too? Look around here in 2020. Are you really more important than the society? Are you really more important than the collective? Is your president and the rules of this country really designed to put you first and to put the collective second? It's a myth too. And so tribalism tends to impose on us trauma and really what other choice do we have? We are built to be tribal. Sometimes tribalism goes too far and the worst of tribalism is groups aligned to destroy other groups, such as through ethnic cleansing and genocide. We have heard the word tribalism used a lot today in reference to our politics. Today in our political world, we have bad tribalism. Bad tribalism is a group identity that fosters the bullying and scapegoating of others not like you. Bad tribalism joins people out of anger, jealousy, spite, not for collective well-being. The unfortunate irony is that bad tribalism is easy to provoke, but not healthy to maintain. Staying angry is stressful. And large doses of stress are bad for your health. But again, your individual health really never mattered. So long as the collective health of the tribe is sound and secure. Your individual health doesn't matter so long as collectively we live longer. And collectively we are producing to an older age. At the same time, good tribalism is difficult to build, but healthy to maintain. When we connect with others to ensure safety and good health, we lower our own stress. That also is from the article Psychology Today, When Tribalism Goes Bad. How do we build a tribe that respects all humans, that respects all life on this planet, and respects the planet itself? How do we build good tribes that have us cooperating with each other, but not utilizing mechanisms of abuse, of neglect, of manipulation and coercion, and which doesn't impose shame? How do we build these societies? How do we build a better human race? And that's the question that this podcast and the resources that we point you to are designed to help facilitate. The more that we look at our shadow, the more we look at the dark pieces of us, the more we look at the mechanisms we use, the more we understand our tribalism, the more that we can sit and watch a football game, for example, and not wish for our team 
to hurt their team, but for both teams to compete in a space of sportsmanship and mutual respect and simply to honor the athletic ability that is put on the field that day and to be complimentary of whatever team wins and whatever players made good plays. Each and every day, we have a chance to look at our world like it is and to envision, not, and to not only envision it being a better world, but to be part of the conversation and the wrestling with thought that has us looking at the world and deconstructing it as it is and reconstructing it as it should be. We have a chance to make a better planet. We can either just keep doing what we're doing and we can keep being divisive and creating us's and them's. We can keep going to war to fight them's because them's are dangerous. We can keep trying to manipulate and coerce and hurt and traumatize others in an effort to make sure that us and our house do well. We can keep taking advantage of systems and societies in order to promote ourselves and us. Or we can start to have conversations about what it means to be a better human race, to be more respectful of each other, of the other life on this planet, and to be good stewards of this planet itself. Christopher Ryan is the author of the book Civilized to Death. We literally have taken our tribalism, we've uber-focused it on progress and invention, and we may have become civilized to death. Which of you are going to wake up? Which of you are going to envision a new world? Which of you are willing to look at yourself in the mirror and to hold yourself accountable for the behaviors that you have that impose trauma on others and which seek to manipulate, which seek to coerce, which seek to shame? Which of you are willing to look in the mirror and begin to see the ways in which you impose yourself on other humans in unhealthy ways and begin for the first time to go, oh, I see that. I'm doing that. I see that I'm doing that. I don't want to do that. I want to start doing it differently. Tribalism is why we survived. It's why us humans made it. It's why we still exist in 2020. Tribalism, working together, having certain groups of us being the good guys and other groups of them being the bad guys is why we're still here. But tribalism is also toxic, and it causes immense damage to every individual who walks this planet. What are you going to do differently today? How are you going to dive into you and us and them and begin to deconstruct labels while still maintaining the cooperation and collaboration that is essential to us humans making it another 200,000 years? Until next time, this is the Almost Awakened Podcast. Have a beautiful day. Please consider helping us keep this podcast alive by donating. You can do that by going to the website almostawakened.org. There at the top of the page, you'll see the donate button. Click that and send a few dollars our way. This takes lots of time and prep to do this podcast, but we're excited to do it. Help us keep it going. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. 
coaching opportunities, or extra support, visit NoNonsenseSpirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.